going to be looking at Matthew 13 today, so if you want to turn there in your Bible. The title of this sermon is called Enemy Within. I wanted to bring this message today because in the world and the time that we live in, every kingdom that is on this earth, whether it's a physical kingdom or a spiritual kingdom, has an enemy. Kingdom of Saudi Arabia used to have an enemy called Iraq. Just different kingdoms throughout history have risen up against each other as enemies and fought with each other. And the kingdom of God, being the spiritual kingdom that we're in, is no different. We have a very real enemy, and he has a very real kingdom. The Bible calls this enemy a few things. One of his first names was Lucifer. Another one, the devil, Beelzebub, which means the prince of flies. He's also called the prince of the power of the air and the prince of this world. And finally, in the Bible, he is called Satan, which means deceiver. And he is also called enemy. And his kingdom is referred to as several different ways in the Bible. It's called the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of the flesh, and several other ways that, that um, the kingdom of darkness is described. And I always hesitate to bring messages about the other side of the spiritual realm because as your pastor, I want us to spend our time exalting Jesus. I want to be talking about the kingdom of God. I want to be talking about righteousness and peace and the Holy Ghost. I want to be talking about that kind of a stuff because I believe that as my pastoral theology that if you get people to where they need to be with Jesus so focused on him that all that other stuff kind of takes care of itself. However, Jesus instruct, instructs us to be as wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. In other words, we are to understand the enemy in so far that we are to understand his tactics. But he also says, you're never going to use his tactics in my kingdom. But you should still be aware of the way that he operates. And Matthew 13 gives us some insight into some of those tactics. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went on his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will say to the reapers, first, gather the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Let's pray. Father God, we ask, Lord, that just for a moment this morning that you would crack open the spiritual realm so that we can see the enemy and his tactics in our lives. Not only in our lives, but in our world, our church, Father. Because you have commanded us to be wise as serpents, to know his ways, but in knowing his ways, to be innocent like doves. That we would not use his ways, 
but that we would understand them and be able to fight against them in our own life. So, Father God, I ask, Lord, that you help us to approach this message with that kind of a heart, that just simply to be informed, but not frightened of the enemy and not given any more credence than he deserves, which is really nothing. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. Last week, I talked about Christians being at war. And as members of the kingdom of God, when you got saved, you switched teams into the other side of this conflict. You didn't even realize you were at war before you became a Christian. But you were at war. And when you bent your knee to Jesus Christ, when you surrendered your life to him, you switched sides and now are in conflict with the kingdom that you used to belong to. We deal with a very real enemy who is doing everything within his power to spiritually and even sometimes physically kill us. Ignorance of how your enemy operates is very dangerous, particularly in the kind of world that we live in now. So how does Jesus in this parable describe how the enemy works? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first way, the definition of a seed is that he is a sower of seed, is that a seed is a spiritual inspiration, a spiritual thought, or a spiritual idea. The seeds of the kingdom, for example, are repentance, holiness, the fear of the Lord, peace, love, and joy. These are seeds of the kingdom that are planted within each one of us that if they sprout and if they are allowed to be watered by the Holy Spirit by living a righteous life before God, they will produce an eternal harvest that will bring great glory to God and reward to you when you stand before him. But the enemy has seeds also. And the seeds of the enemy and his primary weapons are fear, doubt, and unbelief. That is, has always been his tactics are these three things. And you see it here in the beginning. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Genesis chapter 3 just for a moment. I talk about Genesis chapter 3 a lot because it's really the basis for the entire Christian faith, if you think about it, because it talks about the fall of man and it talks about the initial attack of the enemy. Satan's tactics really haven't changed all that much in 6,000 years. He uses the same exact tactics over and over and over again because, let's face it, they work. He doesn't have to come up with anything new because these three things continue to work for him. So Genesis chapter 3, and we are going to begin in verse uh, or, yeah, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we see all three of, the, of his tactics in that little section of scripture there. 
first thing he did was cast doubt. Did God really say? He casted doubt in Eve's heart and used that to get a, a step or a, get a foot in to, inside her doorstep where he could continue to walk in to instill his other two tactics here. Next thing he did is instill fear when he said, God knows you'll be like him. In other words, God is holding something back from you. God is holding back a pleasure or a, or a relationship or a job or some type of possession. He's holding something back from you that he knows will give you joy. He knows will give you fulfillment. He knows that will give you some sense of being, I am that person. He has that. He's holding all that back from him. And he's instilling that fear within Eve right now that God is holding something back from you, something good, something that, he is, that God is being selfish and doesn't want you to have. That is the accusation here. And that's how he instills the fear. He creates unbelief when he says, you will not surely die. In other words, he questions God's moral character and instills that unbelief within Eve. That God is not a God of his word. That God is not going to follow through with what he said. So you see fear, doubt, and unbelief being used initially within Eve. Now jump forward about 4,000 years. Because the same tactics that were used against Eve were used against Jesus in his temptation. If you remember from Mark's gospel, Jesus goes to John the Baptist. He gets baptized. Spirit comes upon him. And then it says that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Jesus has been fasting without food or water for 40 days. He has been seeking God for his next three years of ministry and his eventual walk to the cross. So Satan sees him at his weakest point and comes and tries to tempt him away from that mission. And he does it by instilling doubt in him first. He says, you know... If you're the son of God, if, focus on if, if you are the son of God, if you are really here for this mission, make these stones turn into bread. Let's see it, Jesus. If you're the son of God, that's easy. I mean, for crying out loud, you said let there be light, universe spun into existence. That's an easy thing. So if you're the son of God, prove it to me. What's he doing? He's instilling doubt. He's trying to tempt Jesus through doubt. That doesn't work. Goes on to the next. Takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Tells him, if you are the son of God, toss yourself off of here. You're at the highest point in all of Israel right now. Toss yourself off of here because the scriptures say that he will send his angels to guard you and they will lift you up and you won't even dash your foot against a stone. Come on, Jesus. Show, me, show the world who you are. You don't even have to just show me. Show the world who you are. He's trying to create unbelief in the mission of Jesus. Because, I mean, let's face it. He puts some guy up on top of the temple in front of all Jerusalem, and the guy jumps down, and he just kind of gently floats down because the angels protect him. Everybody would have said, that's the Messiah. But that wasn't what Jesus came to do. So he's trying to create unbelief in his mission. And finally... He tries fear when he says, he takes him to a high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world. He said, you know what, Jesus? 
I don't know what this plan of salvation or what you're planning on doing here, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you all this back. I pretty much won this, you know, when, when Eve sinned, that all this is mine to give you. All this is mine. I can give it to you right now. All you have to do is just worship me. That's it. Bow down and worship me. I'll give it all back. I'll give it all back. So what was he targeting there? Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew that his journey on this earth ended at the cross. He was targeting Jesus' fear of knowing exactly what that was. And it wasn't just the physical pain. I was sharing with the Sunday school class, I had watched um, The Passion of the Christ again last night and saw what Jesus went through and the horrible, it made me, every time I watch that movie, it makes me cry because those lashes were meant for me. And I was watching that and just, just it, my heart just overwhelmed and said, thank you, Jesus, because you took that lash for me. You took that for me. When they punched you, when they drove that, that crown onto your forehead, I deserve that, not you. And so he is speaking to Jesus' very human fear of pain, very human fear of being separated from God for that moment when he took upon, us this, or took upon himself the sin of the world and God the Father had to turn his back on him and say, I don't know you. That's when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Out of the anguish of that. Every seed of the enemy that is sown today all start with these three things. Every sin that you and I struggle with all boil down to the enemy trying to capitalize on fear, doubt, and unbelief in our lives. That's the enemy's tactics and a couple of different ways throughout biblical history that he used them. Now let's see specifically about how the enemy attacks us personally. Satan will always try to sow fear, doubt, and unbelief in the following ways. The first one is he'll try fear in making you doubt your salvation. All of us come into this life with a certain kind of besetting sin. And I don't want to get into generational curses and some of that other, all those other things that are taught out in the Pentecostal realm. But I do believe that people are just born with certain proclivities toward certain sins. With some men, it may be pornography. With some men, it may be wealth and power. With some women, it may be relational issues with or, or different things like that. Some of us are just born with those kind of proclivities. Maybe it's people have alcoholism that runs in their families. There are certain things that, that we were all born with that we're all going to struggle with throughout our lives. And Satan can use that to create that kind of doubt within our lives to where we keep struggling with this and we keep, you know, God, why, why did I have that bad dream? Or, or why didn't I turn the channel quicker on the TV when something bad was being shown? Or, or, you know, why was I, you know, clicking on the Internet and something popped up and I didn't turn my eyes immediately from it and shut the computer off and throw it out the window or something? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? You know, and so he creates, maybe I'm not even saved. Maybe I don't have the spirit of God living within me because I'm still drawn to this kind of thing. 
So he creates that fear within us. Instead of having our, our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, he has us fear and start to doubt the word of God and, and the finished work of Jesus Christ within our lives. The other thing he will do is create that doubt within us where he'll question the word of God in our lives, just like he did with Eve. We live in a, in a world today where everybody in, in the world seems to be an expert in the Bible. Anybody ever found that? I had a conversation at an employer once where I was talking with a gentleman about the Bible and, you know, he immediately said, well, you know, that thing's been translated so many times, how do you even know it's true? I mean, come on. It, it, it could be completely different. And how do you know these guys weren't on some acid trip? Or, you know, how come, or, you know, they weren't like sucking on peyote and, and seeing visions and all that. And how do you know the Bible is true or anything? And I said, you know, my friend, you are, interestingly, you are not the first person to question the validity of the Word of God. He's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, you don't want to know who the name of the first person was who questioned it? He goes, who? Satan. I said, so you might want to rethink your argument from who started that argument if you're going to try to, to debate this with me because you're essentially using Satan's own argument against me. And that's just, it's just not going to work. You have a really horrible source for your argument there. Another way that, that Satan will try to get us is to create within us that unbelief and that fear that God is not everything we need. The, the world will dangle before us a better job. Maybe it's a job, but it's going to be something that takes you away from your church, your family, your, your ministry. Maybe it's riches. You know, the, the talk of work yesterday was that the Powerball was so high now. So people are all running out and buying Powerball tickets and just to talk about the lottery really quick, I can't say I've never played it, but I, years ago I came to the, the, the uh, realization that I think it's up to $300 million now, they said yesterday. If I won $300 million, do you know how that would wreck my life? That would just utterly destroy my life. I wouldn't have, I probably would lose every inkling I would have to do ministry. I would just spend money like crazy. I live a life of leisure and sloth and not work. And I just realized that I think it's something like 95% of the people who win the lottery end up divorced, addicted, and, and will tell you that they wish they had never won the lottery. So why even play it? But it's one of the ways that Satan tries to create fear within us that God is holding back things from us. Possessions is another thing. Companions, relationships. I can't tell you how many people have walked away from God from um, having companions and relationships that are not healthy from them. And that's some of the way that he may attack the individual person. So let's see how Satan might attack the church. The enemy attacks the church, and the spiritual ideal of the church is that the church is the expression of the literal and physical kingdom of God on this earth. And how he does that is, how Jesus said in this parable, is by sowing tares. Now, a tare is something that looks incredibly like wheat. 
if you look at it from afar. Now, I'm not a farmer. Maybe some people who grew up on a farm will tell me a tear looks nothing like a piece of wheat. But when I looked at pictures of it, it looks pretty similar. I probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It looks incredibly like wheat, but it has no nutritional value. You can't use it like you use wheat to feed animals, feed people, or, or whatever. And in the church, he sows these tares, and these are people that I kind of call senos, which are Christians in name only. These are people who come to church, but they never truly bow a knee to Jesus Christ. They are never converted. They never, they never get baptized. They never really serve. They just kind of warm a pew and don't do anything as far as trying to grow in their faith or even coming to honest faith. And there are people in, in churches today that are very religious here in the church, but once they leave, or leave here, they're completely different. One of the things that turned me off from church when I was growing up is I was walking out into the parking lot after church. It was a mainstream church, and I walked out, and I wasn't watching what I was doing, and I stepped kind of into the traffic lane. And somebody... Um, rolled or like slammed on their brakes from almost hitting me and rolled down their window and just let this string of profanity loose that that you know I was just kind of and he was one of the like the big people in the church like on the board and stuff and I'm thinking man if this is this guy is on a board is something I'm supposed to look up to and he's he's yelling like and carrying on like that it's like do I want to have anything to do with a church but he was a sino he was a Christian in name only Another way that he sows tares is to, is to entice people to start conflict. And generally that is caused by fear. Fear that you're not going to get your own way. Fear that you're not going to see what you want accomplished in the church accomplished. Fear of coming under biblical authority or creating doubt. All these things are different ways that Satan will sow tares within the church to try to break up the kingdom of God. Personally, I kind of like church fights. This is going to sound kind of weird, but you know, the devil doesn't kick a dead horse. The devil only has limited amount of demons, only has limited amount of influence. He's not God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not, he's not all-powerful. So he can't possibly come against every single church in the world at the same time. He can't. So if he's coming against a church... That's because God has his hand on that church and they're about to do something. I've always said that the greatest um, revivals always come after the greatest winnowing of the, and fights within the church and that greatest kind of falling away from the church. That's when a revival can start. So I get excited when, when things like that start happening in the church because I figure, hey, there's some type of blessing coming. And finally, he attacks the church by turning followers of Jesus against his church. We have to remember that Whitehall Assembly is not my church. It's not Pastor Roger's church. It's not Conrad and Jen and Jennifer's church. It's his church. I'm, a, I'm an unprofitable servant at best. So we have to remember that it is not about me, not about Tammy. It's not about any one of us. It's about him and making him famous. And if we have that as central in our lives, then we don't allow the enemy to get any of these things into us 
and into this church to break it apart. So I ask you this morning, are you a wheat or are you a tear? Are you a planted vessel of God within this church or are you a weed sown by the enemy to choke life away from the wheat and from the kingdom of God? Let's just close our eyes for a moment. And I would ask the Holy Spirit to just have us answer that question to him. Are you a wheat or are you a tear? And are there things in your life that you know that you're holding on to that aren't pleasing to God? If you allow that to continue, you'll become a tear. And Jesus has a promise for wheats and tares when he told his disciples the meaning of that parable. When Jesus had sent the multitude away, he went into his house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Jesus answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seeds are the son of the kingdom. But the tares are the son of the wicked one. The enemy who sold them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. And the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and all those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Tammy, if you and Jennifer would come back up. Father, I would, a I would ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit do exactly what your will is, and that is to search us and know us. All of us, Father, have weak points in our lives, things that are not pleasing to you. Father, having those things and, hold, and stubbornly holding on to those things is like a city with a breach in the wall. It just gives easy access for the enemy. Oh, I ask, Lord, that you will be the rebuilder of those walls, the restorer of paths to dwell in, that people may walk safely with you without fear, without doubt, and without unbelief or any concern that they may be a terror. So, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you uproot everything that is not pleasing to you in our lives. I ask, Father, that there will be no work of the enemy visible within any one of us. And I would ask, Father, that you just give freedom to captives this morning, Lord. We go and we exalt your name now, Lord. We worship you. We honor you. And we thank you, Lord. Let us come and worship you at the end of this service and release all that onto you now. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. 
If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.